Amen. What a great morning worshiping the Lord. Amen. So excited to worship together this morning. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to start in just a moment. And uh, we are in the last week of our uh, series, The Power to Change. And we've been talking now about a lot of different aspects of this idea of changing into who God is. Chapter 3. This is kind of our base text, if you will. This is kind of what we've been using to kind of set the stage for the series. And we've read it every week, and I pray that it's become familiar to you in a good way. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, there are Bibles there in the seats around you. If you're using one of those Bibles, you can just turn to page 840. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 840, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 16 in just a moment. Uh, We have every week tried to dive into various aspects of what does it really mean to practically see change in our lives for the glory of the Lord. And I I know that we could spend a lot more time diving into different things around this topic, but I pray that we've given you at least kind of a baseline, some basic tools and some ways that you can approach change in your life, that understanding that, that God desires to see us grow and change into who he's called us to be. And again, we don't do this by our own strength, but we do this in the strength of the Lord, that he is giving us this ability to see these changes in our lives. He is maturing us and growing us, and he's, he's making us more and more holy every single day as we strive to honor him and keep our eyes on him. And so we start in this text because the word of God is our source of change. This is where we find out what needs to change, and this is where we find out how it's going to change. And so that's why we're starting here again this morning. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And that word inspiration just means God breathed, right? We've covered that in the first week. That all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Remember, it is not profitable. This book is not profitable because you or someone else deems it profitable, right? It also doesn't lose its effectiveness when someone else says, I don't believe that book. They can doubt it all they want. They can question the power of God. It doesn't change that this is the inspired word of God. And so as the inspired word of God, it is profitable, period. I don't need to validate its effectiveness in my life to say that it's valuable. It is valuable because it is inspired. And somewhere along the line, even in Christianity, we have forgotten that. There is even in churches a a, a demotion, if you will, of the word of God from the inspired word of God to some moral teachings that we really don't take scripture as scripture, even in the church in some places. We've elevated man's thinking and man's opinions and cultural relevance to the same level of scripture and, and people will dismiss scripture if it conflicts with culture. But that doesn't change truth. And so what is truth? Well, truth is the word of God is inspired and praise God that it is. You have the word of God before you. That means when you're struggling in an area and you feel insufficient and unable and incapable of seeing that change in your life, you're reminded when you go to the word, you're exactly those things in yourself. But in Christ, he is working and he's moving and he's strengthening. I mean, the word of God is a valuable treasure that we can dive into freely, reading the very mind of God. So it is profitable because it is inspired, not because we deem it profitable. He continues, as Paul's writing here to Timothy, 
says, and it's profitable. What is it profitable for? Well, some would say this is not an exhaustive list. There's maybe more things we can add to this list. But Paul is trying to get Timothy to understand, here's how this is effective for you and for the church. It says it's profitable for doctrine. That word just means teaching. For reproof, for correction. So not only in the exposing of sin in our lives, but then also what to do with that sin. So the word of God, you ever read the word of God, you're struggling in a sin, you know what you need to do, but you're rejecting truth because you don't really want to deal with it. You don't think you can handle it. You don't know how to take care of it. And you're reading the word and that sin just keeps getting brought back around, brought back around. You're like, I'm going to go read in like some random Old, Old Testament book because I don't want to be confronted with my sin. Maybe if I'm over here in like Ecclesiastes or something, you know, God will leave me alone. But then you're in the bringing us reproof and to bring it to your mind. Why? Because the word of God is effective in bringing us reproof and correction. But that word correction, we talked about that a few weeks ago. It, it means so much more than just a solution to our sin. It's dealing with that idea of being restored to right standing with God. That when our sin is exposed, I believe the spirit of God reminds us that yes, we struggle in sin, but in Christ, our identity never changes. You never cease to be in Christ if you know him. Then it says for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, not perfect meaning flawless, but meaning mature. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly, sorry, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We're going to dive into that last part of verse 16 for instruction in righteousness. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for being the great I am, as was already talked about, Lord. We thank you for a time of worship. And Father, we pray that we would be open to you, not just in how we feel about things, but how we're thinking about things, that our minds would be open and be challenged by you, Holy Spirit. We pray for your wisdom. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your direction. We're not here, Lord, to hear from man's opinion. We're here, Lord, to hear from you and your word. And so I pray that you would guide us and direct us. Lead us into all truth. And Father, when it comes to this area of change in our lives, and, and I know it's so difficult to see that old habit die off and that new habit start, to see that old behavior leave and that, that new behavior become a part of our everyday lives. It's challenging and it can be difficult to set those goals for you that you're giving us the desire to achieve and, and see ourselves fall short and then get up again and, and try and fall short again. And, and so, Lord, I know it's a challenging thing for many people. And some people feel defeated that they can never really change. But Lord, we know that in Christ, all things are possible. And help us, Lord, to train up in righteousness, that we'd be ready every day for what you have for us. Father, we thank you for all of this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking through the whole series, and there's kind of a key phrase that's really kind of driving the series, and that is this, that real change is not merely behavior modification, but spiritual transformation that we're not talking about just stopping a behavior and starting a behavior. Many of us have tried that. Some of you have been more successful than others in that area, but we're not talking about change at just the surface level. We're talking about that. There's a spiritual driving uh, force here in the, in the work of God in us, that it's spiritual transformation, not just behavior modification. And that's why it's so important. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, that we need to understand the spiritual why that is leading us to see that change in our lives. Uh, why do I want to change 
how I deal with my relationships? Why do I want to change how I handle my finances? Why do I want to change and see something in my marriage that I'm not seeing? Why do I want to change this or that in my walk with Christ? It can't just be a surface thing, and it can't just be, well, I think it's better for me thing. It has to be driven in a spiritual why. Why would God want me? Why is God leading me? How is the Lord leading me to see these changes for his glory? When it comes to our finances, why do I want to see improvement in my finances and how I steward my finances? Because I'm honoring God through that. I'm I'm worshiping him through how I steward the things that he's given me. And, And so there's spiritual whys behind the desire to change. And I believe that makes a huge impact on our commitment to that change. What is the spiritual why? The holy habits we talked about last week are connected to those spiritual whys. Those holy habits take discipline. And the Apostle Paul talks about what that discipline looks like in our lives. We need to be disciplined followers of Christ, committed to him and making the tough choices. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Go with me there. This is going to be our text for the morning. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You're just going back a few books there to your left. If you're using one of the, pi- the Bibles provided, you're going to be in page 807. So if you're using a Bible provided, page 807, 1 Corinthians 9. If you're not using one of the Bibles provided, I have no idea what page it would be on for you. But if, if it may be close to that, I don't know. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I want to talk about this idea of discipline to those holy habits and to that call to change. And the Apostle Paul touches on this in 1 Corinthians 9. So he says this in verse 24. So 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 24. So 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all? But one receives the prize. So run that you may Obtain. Paul basically says this, that we are to run, that is run this life as we run our race in this life for Christ. And what is our goal? Are we running for second place? No, he says, hey, you run to win. We run to win. That's the idea of what Paul's illustrating here. Now, the Corinthian church would very easily understand this illustration of competition and athletics uh, because they were a city in Greece that hosted the Isthmian Games that were kind of like the Olympics in the sense that they were competitive sports of various kinds. And they actually happened in the off years from the Olympics. So they were kind of smaller versions of the Olympic Games. So some of the sports that they competed in were wrestling, boxing, racing. So far, we're pretty good, right? These all sound like normal sporting events. So wrestling, boxing, racing. They also competed in music and poetry. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know. What, and I try to imagine what a poetic competition would look like in the Olympics today. Like just two people standing in the middle, just reciting poems at each other aggressively. I don't know what it would look like. I don't know how that would communicate. But this, it was a competitive idea here. And even with the music, I the music competition I can understand, right? You're, you're playing a piece of music and, okay, they did a little better than this person, but the poetry one kind of threw me a little bit there. But the, anyway, they understand athletic competition. They get when Paul says, hey, when you start a race, everyone's running the race. 
but only one person wins the race. So as you're running your race, one, run with a goal in mind of, I'm going to obtain the prize. I'm running to achieve the prize. Whatever the sport, the illustration remains true. Run or compete to win. Now, I have to ask this, and you're in church, you can't lie, so your spouse will know if you're lying. How many in here love to win? Raise your hand. You love winning. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be the silliest game, okay? Hands all over. How many of you like to play a game just for fun? You're the fun people. You're the, it's just for fun. Let's not keep score, okay? Doesn't matter who wins, okay? Yeah. I, I become the fun, doesn't matter who wins person if I'm losing the game, right? <laughs> Like you're playing putt-putt and it's for real. Like the first eight, nine holes, you're like, man, we're in this to win it. And then you see the scores. You start seeing, I got a couple threes, maybe some fours. And I'm, I'm competing against Sandra and she's like ones and twos. And, and then it's like, hey, you know what? Let's stop keeping score, you know? <laughs> Let's just have some fun with it. But many of you know Sandra. She's keeping score. You know what I'm saying? She's, no, no, no. Now I will say this. It just so happened yesterday we played... We don't play Monopoly a whole lot because you need like seven days to play Monopoly, it feels like. But we were playing Monopoly and it got down to like, it was just uh, Sandra and I pretty much. And so we went back after dinner. We took a break for dinner, went back after dinner and we were, we were going back and forth and um, we were just kind of in that stalemate point, you know, where it was like I was giving her, you know, 700, 900, a thousand dollars or whatever. She'd give me back 1100 for my hotels. And we were just doing that. And after like, I don't know, an hour of that, we were just like... Are you, are you done? I'm done. I want to be done. So we did end in a tie last night, technically. Now, I think she won, being fair. I really do. But she says we have to call it a draw. I can't say she won. But in any case, most of the time, we're in it because we want to win the race, win the competition. We want to win, right? That's a very human thing to understand, that you're competing in something for the purpose of winning, to achieve that prize, now, Paul takes up the idea of winning a temporary crown and more or less says that that perishes away, but we are running for a prize that will never fade away. So he's using a kind of a, an easy to understand illustration to connect it back to a spiritual truth. This is very common to scripture. This is also very common to the teachings of Christ, right? So often Christ would use a very easy to understand illustration and tie it back to a spiritual truth. Sometimes he did these in parables. Sometimes he just did them in illustrations, right? Some stand. One of my favorite hilarious examples that most people don't get the humor in is when he talks about the beam and the moat, right? The beam and the little toothpick, if you will. And he says, when you have something against someone, they're struggling in sin and they've got this little toothpick in their eye. You go to them to help them out, but you haven't taken time to realize that you have some sin in your own life. And he illustrates that sin in my life in comparison to their sin as a two by four out of my eye. Now, people read that and they go, oh, I get the spiritual point of that. It's a hilarious example. Could you imagine a guy with a two by four in his eye walking up to someone else and going, excuse me, you got a little something in your eye, right? You got a little something, you got a little, you got a little something right there. You know, some, those pieces of sawdust right there. You need, to take, you need to take care of that. That's embarrassing. I can't believe you walk around with that thing in your eye. Two by four, right? So Jesus is using all kinds of ways to communicate. And scripture does this cover to cover. I love that God is creative and that he allows us to use all these different means while superintending all of these words for his inspired purposes, but giving us that creativity to bring it to light in ways that we can read and go, oh, I, I get this illustration. I get competition. 
I want to read what one uh, commentary referred to, this idea of the prize. He says this, the prize Paul refers to is Christ-likeness. He wanted to be able to say at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Second Timothy 4 tells us that. So when Paul's saying, run to obtain the prize, he's not saying, run to obtain salvation. The prize is not salvation. Because, by the way, we don't obtain salvation through our efforts. Amen? Amen. That's a huge praise, by the way. Because, by the way, none of us are winning that race. We've taken ourselves out of the race in our own sin, foolishness. We didn't even start the race on the right foot. But God in his grace gives us salvation. He offers it to us freely. We receive it through repentance and turning from our sin to faith in Christ. And then he says, now run your race. And what are we running to obtain? That Christ-likeness that we, as Paul, can say, I've run my race. I've finished the course. I've done all that I can do. Did I run perfectly? Absolutely not. I didn't run perfectly. And in fact, I tripped up a few times. I was on the sideline for a little bit. I needed someone else to come over and bandage me up because I was injured. And they got me back in the race by God's grace. And I, I started running again. Some of you have been in and out of your race so many times, you feel like uh, there's no point. No, 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 no. In Christ, we just keep running. We just keep going forward. We keep pushing forward because our prize that we're striving to achieve by God's grace is Christ's likeness, that we will honor him as we run the race. So winning does not mean being perfect. Winning means realizing we have already won in Christ. Salvation is a gift. And now that is lived out in our lives. We're running as already victors. We've already won. Now we're just racing for his glory. Winning is seeing real Christ-like change in our lives. Again, real change is not achieved by trying, but by training. You can ask any runner. I'm not a runner. If you see me running, you better start running because there's something coming. <laughs> That's the only reason I'm running, okay? Because something's coming and if I... I just got to outrun you. That's all I'm trying to do. Okay, just get ahead of you. So whatever it is gets you and not me. I'm just being real. It's what it is. But if you ask any runner, they're going to tell you the, the number one thing you need to do when you want to become a runner is what? Run. How do you run? You train to run. How do you train to run? By running, by exercising, by getting into running. But real change isn't seen by trying Real change is seen by training. And that's what Paul's going to dive into here. So a question to start off this idea in our minds and in our hearts this morning is based on who God wants you to become. So who in Christ are you being called to become? How are you going to train? How are you going to train today in preparation for and striving for running that race to achieve the prize? I love what one a pastor said, I thought this was great. Trying is attempting to change with minimal effort. Trying is attempting to change with minimal effort. This is where we say, I'm trying to do this or that, but never see real change in our lives. 
We say the right things, but we aren't willing to put in the work or take the steps to see real change. I'm trying, but we're not really putting in the effort. And so often we do this in our spiritual lives. I'm trying to read the Bible more. I'm trying to pray more. I'm trying to go to church more. Listen, the problem is that I'm part of that. I'm trying. No, no, no. Stop trying. Start training. Be committed. Be disciplined and let God lead you and move through you. A wise individual once said, and some of you may recognize this quote. It's pretty famous. Do or do not. There is no try. Now, if you have the notes, you know who said that. I won't spoil it. You need to get on the notes and download the notes. If you want to use the notes on the app, you'll know who said that. But some of you know who it is already. But it's very true, right? We, we say that all the time. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. There is no try. It's just do it or don't do it. Commit to it or stop lying to yourself and saying that you are going to change. Because ultimately, trying is attempting to change with minimal efforts. Training, however is wholehearted commitment to achieve a specific result. So while training or trying is attempting to change with minimal effort, training is a wholehearted commitment to achieve a specific result. I'm committed to this. I'm fully on board with this. And again, does this mean we're going to do it perfectly? No, we already established that. It's not about doing it perfectly. It's about being disciplined and committed to say, I'm believing God can give me the strength to commit to this thing. I'm going to do my part and just follow after him. We said this before. Paul says that grace that works in us to save us and sustain us is producing works in us. And he says, I worked harder than any of them, but not really me. It was Christ in me. It was grace in me. So he put in the effort to see the results of Christ's likeness in his life. The athletes in Corinth, like athletes today, did various things to train their bodies for competition. Well, Maybe not the poets, but the rest of them. I don't know if the poets are out there doing jumping jacks and push-ups to recite poetry. But the rest of the athletes would very much train their bodies for competition. One example, as I was reading about these games, one example is the wrestlers would go out in the middle of the day at the hottest part of the day and train in their wrestling techniques and strategies and all of that. And they would do this for hours in the hottest part of the day. Why? They're building up a stamina. They're building up an endurance to be able to compete at the highest level. One of the greatest Olympians, as far as my lifetime that I've ever known and heard of, is Michael Phelps. So the most decorated Olympian of all time. Michael Phelps has won 28 Olympic medals. 28 And if you're curious, you can look up and see the next most medals, I believe, is around 17 or 18 medals. So he is far and above any other Olympian. But when you think about that, you think about what he's achieved, you think about all the medals he's achieved and all the fame and all of that. Do you know that it's said that at the height of his career, he was spending five to six hours a day in the pool? Five to six hours a day in the pool. One of the things I found interesting is he also made sure he got eight hours of sleep a night. And he said he found when he slept more, his training became more effective. And a lot of people that were trying to sleep less and do more training were less effective than he was. So here he spent five to six hours a day in the pool, training and training and training. And why did he do that? Why did Michael Phelps get up early, do all that he did, all the things he did with his diet, all those things? Because he wasn't swimming for second place. He wasn't swimming just to have fun. 
He was swimming and competing to win. And that's Paul's point. Hey, listen, anyone can run. Anyone can swim. But you should train and you should compete to win. So what does training look like in our lives? What does training resemble in our lives as followers of Christ? Well, training means choosing to run with purpose in every step. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 26 through 27. So 1 Corinthians 9, back to our text, verses 26 to 27. So it says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as the one that uh, beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest, by it, that, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So what is he saying here? He is choosing to run, if we're using that illustration, with purpose in every step. Everything he does has purpose, has intent behind it. The word subjection there in verse 27, he says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. That word subjection in the Greek means deliver a knockout blow. To, to just completely overpower my adversary. And that's how we need to look at the flesh in our lives. That when we surrender control of our bodies to Christ, we are delivering a knockout blow to that flesh, to that enemy, to that one that would pull us aside and and get us off track and make us think that we're not being effective. The New Living Translation translates verses 26 and 27 like this. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. That's when Paul says, I'm not just beating the air. He says, I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. You see the reverse here? So many Christians go, man, I just don't think I can have victory over my flesh. I just can't have victory over this thing in my life. And we think the flesh has power over us. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I, in Christ, have already overcome. And so because I've overcome the flesh in Christ, not in my ability, but in Christ, now I discipline my body and it does what it should. Now, we know Paul's not perfect, right? Romans 7 makes very clear, Paul says, there are things that I do that I don't want to do and things that I should be doing that I'm not doing. And why is that? Because there's sin in me. But praise God, Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, even when we struggle like Paul does in Romans 7. So Paul's not saying I do this perfectly. What is he saying here in 1 Corinthians 9? This is my, my goal. This is what I'm striving for. I will discipline my body. And when we stumble, when we fall, when the flesh gets that little victory, we instantly need to remember our identity in Christ has not changed. Grace that saves us is the grace that sustains us. We repent of that sin. We turn from that sin and we say, Lord, I pray that I will keep my eyes fixed on you as I run this race. And as we do that, from scripture and from your own life, you've seen this true as a follower of Christ. You will find yourself not sinless, meaning you'll never be tempted or fall into sin, but you will sin less. Because now I don't have time for that. Man, I'm disciplining my body to focus on what I'm here to do. I love what Warren Worsby said about this idea of purposeful training and discipline because it's not just dealing with sin in our lives. Sometimes discipline means giving up the good in spite or in place of the, the best that got for the best. So I'm, I'm disciplining. That, that's not necessarily sinful, but it's not going to honor God in the way that it should for me, so I need to set that aside. 
Or, you know what, that's a distraction. It's a good thing, but it's a distraction right now from what God would have for me. Sometimes it's the good thing or the easy thing that we give up now to experience the best we desire tomorrow. If you want, as an example, in your marriage, the the number one thing you want is a healthy Christ-like marriage, then you may put off something good that you want now in comparison because you realize it will lead to what you want most. Maybe it means looking at your finances and saying, you know what, this isn't a bad thing but I believe God wants this in my area of finances. So I'm going to set this aside. I'm not going to pursue that because I need and I desire to see this down the road. One author said it this way. If it interferes with your highest goals, then they are hindrances and not helps. If it interferes with your highest goals, and I would add in Christ, then they are hindrances, not helps, even if they're good things. And so that means sometimes we discipline our bodies and we say no to the good things because every time you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. And every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And there's wisdom, just seeking God's word and saying, God, where do I need to say no? And where do I need to say yes? Where do I need to pursue? And where do I need to pull back? What relationships are helping my walk with Christ? And what relationships are really just distractions and I need to maybe distance myself in because that's not helping me in my spiritual walk with the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't love other people and encourage them and pray over them. But sometimes if we're being honest, there's people in our area of influence that the best thing you can do sometimes is say, I need a little distance here. Because they're not helping you. They're not encouraging you in your walk with Christ. And you can love them and serve them and be there for them and be a Christ-like example to them. But sometimes we need to say, I need to limit that influence in my life. Because it's not helping me. It's hindering what God has for me. So one of the things that training means And when we put training in our lives is we train by running with purpose in every step. Everything I do, I desire to have a purpose in. Why am I doing this for the Lord? What is God going to be? How is God going to be glorified in this? Another thing that I would encourage as far as our training is not only do we run with purpose in every step, but we look to others for support. We look to others for support in our training. Whatever athlete you think is a great athlete, Now, some of you have favorite sports. You think of athletes that are certain individuals that have just achieved great things. Maybe you're hockey fans or football fans or baseball fans. And and you think of that athlete as just achieved great success in that field. Whatever athlete you think of as a great athlete, whoever that person is, and whatever they have accomplished in their field, they did not do that alone. We see these athletes that are amazing athletes. And we think, man, look how amazing they are at baseball or football or whatever sport it is. And look how good they do that. And they've done that thing. The Michael Phelps of the world. Man, 28 Olympic medals. I think 23 of them are gold medals, if I'm remembering right. That's incredible. But none of them did it alone. And I think we forget that sometimes. That in this Christian Life in this race we're running, we are not called to run alone. That we can look to others for support, for encouragement, for strengthening. Whatever athlete it is and whatever sport it is, there are various coaches and support staff that work with that athlete to encourage them and motivate that person to continue to help them along the way. You see, the Lord has given us his spirit within us, the word before us, and the church around us to run our race. 
He's given us his spirit in us in Christ and praise God that he has because the spirit of God gives us wisdom and guidance and convicts us and leads us and opens the word to us in our minds and, and prays those prayers that we can't even pray and, and praise God for the spirit that seals us into the day of redemption that, that you will not be lost. Of God is a great blessing. He gives us his word, as we talked about, that enlightens our minds and guides us and directs us and gives us examples of others that God has used for his glory and how he can use you and I for his glory. But he doesn't stop there. He gives us the church around us, the spirit in us, the word before us, and the church around us. I love hearing people share with me how someone in the church has encouraged them, strengthened them by just a simple text or a prayer, walked with them in Christ. And now here's the thing. We do that as a church not to be praised. Amen? If you're texting somebody through the week so they will tell you how great you are, God is using you for that moment to encourage them, but you're losing a blessing on that. See, it's not about us. It's not about me up here or, or the praise team or, or what God has used you for. Listen, I've said it before. God is the one that is glorified when he uses vessels like us. Because we're just broken clay pots that he's miraculously and graciously restored and brought back to that finished product. We're, now we, we, we're not cracked pots with tape all over us. We're brand new pieces of pottery that he is filling with his spirit, filling with his gospel, and then using for his glory. And so it's not about you. But I'm so thankful when the church, when the body of Christ is used by God in that way. So we can say, man, thank you for what you're doing. But we just need to be reminded and guarded about thinking that it's about us. I want to give you one example here. We received a card this last week. I was going to read it during the announcements. And as I was sitting down here, I thought, you know, I want to read that when we get to that point in the message. It says here, our church family, we really appreciate your prayers through David's surgery and recovery. We are so blessed with such an amazing church who emulates God's love. Every text, call, and visit has been so appreciated. Love the channels. Now, some of you know David Channel had a knee surgery, and it's been, man, he's just been amazing. Like the first week he was here in a wheelchair, the next week he was here with a cane. I think Wednesday he just came walking in. I was like, what is, what is going on? This is amazing. Praise God. But it's just amazing to see us. He's being strengthened, and, and he even shared, uh, and this is one of the reasons, too, why, a little plug here, I love our Wednesday evening services. I really do. I love all of our services. But our Wednesday evening services, maybe, maybe just a little more, no offense. Okay, I know it's like Sunday morning. You're supposed to talk about the Sunday morning group. But I love Wednesday nights because we take time. We, after service, we have a devotional time, and then we break into two groups, and the men will go pray in one room and the ladies in another room. And, and, and we just sat around this room, and I think we had like 12 guys in there Wednesday night. We're just sitting around, and, and I'm so thankful that David just shared. He's like, I just want to say how thankful we are for our church family, the prayers, the support, the meals, just, just that God is doing so much in our church. He said, I just, I just, this is family. This is family. And many of you have experienced that. Many of you have shared those same types of, of moments with our church. And, and maybe you're here and you would think, well, I, I've never experienced that here, but I, I love hearing about that. I mean, that's why I love that time of just sitting with the men in that room and just hearing how God's working for him to say that with such a praise. And so why is that so important? Because we're all running a race, right? As followers of Christ, we're all running a race. And guess what? It's tiring to run a race. I've heard. <laughs> Come on. 
I get tired driving 10 miles, okay? Like, I'm not running 10 miles. I almost said a joke that's kind of a running joke between me and the Belascos, but I'll leave that aside. I won't, I don't know if that would fit there or not. But, um, but when you think about this idea of running a race, it's tiring, right? It takes effort. And man, how amazing is it? For those of you that do run, I've had people who are runners tell me that one of the, the best things they can have when they're running is somebody running with them. Kind of that encouragement to them. Now, I've shared before, I, I did try one, running at various times in my life. I don't know what I was thinking, but I tried it. And I remember I was running with this guy, and he wanted to have a conversation as we're running. He's like, so, what do you think about this, that, this, that, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, I'm going to, like, steer into you and knock you over just because you're annoying me. Like, stop, stop talking. But, but we understand that when we have somebody there with us, it does. It makes it easier, right? Because guess what? You're going to get tired at one point in this race, and maybe they're a little farther along. They're a little stronger in that area, so, so they're not going to get as tired. So guess what they can do? They can motivate you. And one of the coolest things is that when I was running with this individual, he would actually slow his pace down to stay with me. And by the way, some of us in our Christian walk, if you take this illustration this way, we can slow our run down a little bit to run with somebody who's a little younger, maybe not quite as mature, not quite there yet. And it's not a knock against them. It's just where they are in their race and where they are in their journey. And we slow down a little bit. We don't need to remind them how far ahead we are. Amen. We just say, hey, I just want to run with you. Like, how can I help you? And by the way, as you're running with them, guess what they're doing? They're strengthening you. They're encouraging you. Some of us need to remind ourselves that God has put us in the body of Christ for encouragement and that support that we all desperately need. Some fall into the trap of thinking they don't need anyone else. If obviously, the Bible tells us the Lord is truly all we need, of course. All we need is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is sufficient. His word is sufficient. His spirit is sufficient. I understand that. But remind yourself of this. When you start thinking that way, yes, the Lord is all we need at the end of the day, but the Lord alone is not all the Lord has given us. So that's what we need to remind ourselves is the Lord has given us other strengths and encouragements in this life. And so as we keep our eyes on him, we're actually honoring him and praising him by allowing those blessings he's brought into our life to encourage us. I've said it before, but it bears repeating. There are nearly 60 one another's in the New Testament dealing with the importance of how we demonstrate the love we have received from Christ to one another. So my encouragement is this. Don't train alone. Let us, let others help you because we all need support. So my question this morning as we get ready to close. Are you training or are you trying? I understand. We all try. I get it. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. We need to shift our thinking from I'm trying to do this to no, Lord, I'm training for this purpose, for this goal. I'm running with purpose in every step. Do you keep working at it or are you allowing God to guide you through his word to live surrendered, committed to him, working through you? The word of God is giving us instruction in righteousness. We read that in 2 Timothy 3. That's what we're talking about this morning. This training is instruction in righteousness, which means it is revealing to us how to live godly. So when we are in the word, spending time in prayer, spending time in studying the word, we are training. When we're serving someone else, we're training. When we're out actively pursuing Christ-likeness, we're training. And we must realize that winning in Christ is not when we hit the goal six months from now. 
Some of you are, are wanting to change in your personal health. Some of you want to change in your finances. Some of you want to change in other areas of your spiritual life. And it's all part of your spiritual life, by the way. But I understand when people say that, well, I'm trying to get better in reading the word. And in six months from now, when you get to that discipline of reading the word every day for this amount of time and praying, you haven't won. That's not the end game. When you get in shape and you are able to be able to do certain things physically that you desire to do or your finances get to a certain point, that's not winning. When you hit the goal, winning in our understanding is showing up for training. See, today, if you spend more time in the word today than you just, I mean, not necessarily about the time, but you're just committed to it. Tomorrow morning when you get up and spend time in the word and you pray, you're winning. You say, but no, but I only did it one day. That's fine. You're winning. And then the next day when you show up for training again, you're winning. But no, but I got to do it for a long period of time. Yeah, we should strive for that. But just showing up in training, you're winning. You're following him. You're pursuing that Christ likeness and he's being glorified. Winning is making the little choices grace. So are you running to win or are you running for second place? Are you running apathetically? Hey, whatever happens, happens. Or are you running with purpose to say, no, Lord, I want to honor you today and how I use today for your glory. Would you bow your heads with me as we spend some time in invitation, reflect on what God is doing? Would you, again, bow in prayer with me there where you are? Father, as we come before you this morning, we're so thankful for this opportunity to worship you and to lift you up. And Father, I pray that as we talk about this idea of training and putting in the work, Lord, you'd help us to keep it in balance. Lord, we of course know that we don't do anything apart from your strength in us, your grace in us, your, your gospel that we've received, the salvation you've given to us. We know that this is all in the context of what you've already done. So help us to know, Lord, that as we run our race, we're running as victors. We're running as those who have already won, not based on our performance, but because you lived your sinless life. And that when we receive Christ, your sinless life is that, that righteousness is, is credited to our account. In the same way that when you died and rose again, showing victory over death and hell, that one day, We've already spiritually died to the flesh in Christ. And we've risen again in Christ, as Romans 6 talks about. But one day we will leave this physical body and we too will have victory over death. Because of what you've already done. And so Lord, as we run this race, I pray Lord that we would run it with patience. That we would look to you for endurance and strength. That we would look around us at the other racers and do our very best to encourage them, to share with them how you're working in our lives. When we tripped up and, and fell a mile or two back, and yet you were so gracious to pick us up and put us back in the race. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take this illustration and see how it can be applied to our hearts and to our minds and into our lives, that we would run to win the race. Because, Lord, again, that Christ-likeness that we're talking about, it's so that others in this world will come to know Christ 
It's that others will see a difference in us and they will ask questions and we can share with them proactively what you're doing. And then through that, the gospel is shared and, and someone else comes to Christ and praise God that as Jeff's saying already, hell has lost another one. That that person was, was taken from a road on the way to hell in their sin and they were set free and given new life, made a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And now they stand before you run their race. Again, not that we get the applause, but that you get praised. And so, Father, in all these things, I pray to give us your wisdom because we desperately need it. Help us to apply this as you see fit. And, Father, above all things, I pray if there's anyone here right now in this room that has never received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, I pray that they would come before you today, open, Repenting just means turning from their sin, trusting Christ, believing that you died on the cross for their sin, was buried and rose again. If they put their faith and trust in you, they can be forgiven of their sin and find heaven as their home. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here in person or online that has not done that, they would make that decision today. And so, Father, for the believers here today, help us to run our race with purpose in every step, not run alone, and know that you are running with us. So, Father, would you work in all of this? We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Would you, if the Lord's leading, would you come and pray? You're welcome to pray here in the front or there in your seats. If you know that you've been trying and not training, maybe the Lord's calling you to train, to put in the work, to believe that he can do it through you and know that you're not running alone. Whatever it is that God is leading on your heart to do, would you pray this morning and respond to what God is doing as we sing?